Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. And welcome into the hard count. It is Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. The last one on the face of this planet. We got Dan Lanning, the original program guy, joining the show today. And have a little sit down interview with him, talking everything from culture, joining the Big Ten to how he feels about his defense versus his offense. So glad to have y'all here, man. What a wonderful day to talk some college football, man. We do that here on this show every single day. If you're new to the program, welcome. Like I just said, it's college football every single day of the year. We're live, though, as we are right now, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. So make sure you're subscribed. Dan Lanning is our first head coach interview of this season. Uh, he's definitely not the last. Got a couple more lined up. Got one more already uh, lined up for sure. A couple more in the works. Listen, we're glad to have y'all here, man. It is a... It's a special thing to get to sit here in February and talk about the greatest game on the face of this planet. We got the Dan Lenning conversation here in just a matter of minutes. We got punchline culture. What is punchline culture, you ask? Well, we'll talk about it here in a second. Basically, we got some teams that I think are seeking revenge in a very real way. Also, Florida State and the ACC, the plot thickens. It sounds like, I don't know if the door is propped open, but it sounds like there's at least a crack in the door for Florida State to maybe find their way out of the ACC. More intriguing win totals in the Big 12. Got a few numbers there that I think we can make some money on, but intriguing nonetheless. Your surprising headlines. I put out a call to action on my Twitter page, at J.D. Pacal, and I asked y'all, what are going to be the most surprising headlines we get this college football season? We got headlines on Notre Dame. We got headlines on the Georgia-Florida game, or Georgia-Florida-Florida-Georgia, however you want to label it, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. One of you had a headline on that. Also got a headline on uh, the way that things could shake out when it comes to uh, the good folks over in, uh, 
who was this on? Florida, Georgia, Notre Dame, uh, USC. That was the other headline. Some, some takes on Miller Moss. Also, a lot of talk around Alabama's warm-up. A lot of thoughts around how that whole thing shook out. Some, some uh, interesting takes on that. We'll talk about all that. We're glad to have you all here. This is the greatest sport on the face of this planet. We're privileged to talk about it for a job. This is what we like to call a safe space. All right, so there's a million other things on your plate right now. You've got a lot going on with school. You've got a lot going on with your job. We want this to be, as much as possible, an escape for you, a mental vacation of sorts. So whatever you got going on, put it up for a few minutes. We're going to talk some ball and have the absolute time of our life doing it. Let's start here with punchline culture because that's, I think, something that uh, is very prevalent this time of year. Some of you are asking, J.D., what is punchline culture? You kind of say that a lot. You tweet that a lot. What does that actually mean? Punchline culture is something that runs rampant this time of the year where there are people who just, quite frankly, want to win Twitter. Like, they want to have a tweet that goes viral because they were able to make fun of somebody or some other team, and that got a lot of likes, and that got a lot of retweets, and they felt good doing that. Well, the thing about punchline culture, especially during this time of the year when you're projecting for the future, there's a chance now that those receipts come back to bite you. And I think there's a couple of teams, a couple of people right now, that are the punchline for a lot of different jokes that I think may have some receipts to turn back in in a matter of months. Let's start with Ryan Day. Ryan Day, a lot of folks, what, what's the punchline people like to say about him? He was born on third base. He's just successful because of the Ohio State brand. Urban Meyer left him a Ferrari, and he's driving it into a wall. They can't beat Michigan. A lot of punchlines, a lot of jokes being made. Well, if we're not uh, careful, we're going to forget that Ryan Day actually brings back a top five defense in the country, and they added the best player in the transfer portal, Caleb Downs. We're going to forget that he added, I think, an upgrade at quarterback in Will Howard from Kansas State. They had a starting quarterback in Common Court that could have come back this season. They said, hey, thank you so much. Can't guarantee you the starting spot. There's the portal. Ryan Day is continuing to push the needle forward. And when we look at what could happen here at the end of the season, I believe right now Ohio State is the betting favorite to win the Big Ten. If they do win the Big Ten, I'll tell you what, Ryan Day will have a mountain of receipts he can turn back into the good folks that were making a lot of jokes about him and have some, uh, some punchline culture that could once again draw the short end of the stick. Uh, Miami, another team that is just getting a lot of jokes this time of year, and it, it is what it is. I understand it. I understand people want to get retweets. They want to get likes. The thing you hear a lot about Miami, they point to the Georgia Tech game where Mario Cristobal should have taken a knee. He didn't, and people say, well, did they put the knee in the playbook? Did they put the quarterback knee on the playbook yet? Or they'll, they'll say, yeah, I'll do this every year with Miami. You overhype them. You drink the Kool-Aid. They were saying the same thing about Texas last year. All I see so far from Miami is a positive trend. All I see from Mario Cristobal and his team since he's been there is slow and steady progress. 5-7 and seven his first year, not great. 7-5 and five last year, a knee away from being 8-4. and four. They go out and get one of the best quarterbacks in the transfer portal in Cam Ward. I think that line of scrimmage is starting to look a lot more like Mario Cristobal would like it to look when it comes to how his team is supposed to be under Mario Cristobal. The ACC is wide open now. ACC is wide open. Say what you want about Florida State and Clemson. I don't see a clear front runner in that conference as of right now. So you factor all those things together and then add in the unquantifiable of what does Mario Cristobal's culture look like in year three? Probably better than it did the previous two years. The young talent they have in the line of scrimmage with Francis Malagoa and Ruben Bain, like, I'm just saying, Miami could be set up to a windmill dunk on some folks when we get to the end of the season. Punchline culture, 
running rampant right now in Coral Gables, but I'm just saying, keep an eye on the Canes. Slow and steady progress, slow and steady trend. Let's stay in the ACC here. DJ Uwe Unglele, man. He's a program guy through and through, has had a lot of things thrown his way throughout the course of his college career. A lot of things said about him since he was at Clemson, even at Oregon State. When he committed to Florida State, there was a lot of people saying, are we sure we want him to be our guy? Listen, there's a lot made about him from his Clemson days, and people are quick to make jokes. Let's not forget now, he left Clemson, and he wasn't the solution at Clemson. There's no way around that. But he left Clemson, and Clemson got worse. Okay, so if he was the problem, and you remove the problem, and you get worse, is that really the problem? Just saying, he went to Oregon State. They averaged 30 points a game. Mike Norvell goes out to the transfer portal and takes DJ Uwe Ungalale. And keep in mind now, Mike Norvell, if there was anybody that was familiar with his game, it's the coach that's coached against him multiple times from when DJU was at Clemson. And also, Mike Norvell, let's not forget this, he helped elevate Jordan Travis quite a bit. Like Jordan Travis was in Mike Norvell's office saying, hey, should I play wide receiver? Ultimately, Jordan Travis ended up having the year that he had last year. Pretty safe to say that Mike Norvell is able to elevate a quarterback's play. So DJU, man, I hope he kept receipts. Hope he kept receipts. I think he's going to have a lot of those he can turn in when it comes to the end of the season. Last one I want to get to here, Texas A&M, man. God bless them. God bless the folks in College Station. I was fortunate for like all of 15 minutes to work in the local news sector of things in College Station. They love their Aggies, man. Like that is, that is a diehard fan base. And there's a lot of folks now that have been making jokes at Texas A&M's expense, and the low-hanging fruit is the midnight yell and the way that they get down with their, you know, uh, pregame traditions and all those things. I understand that that's fine. You wear overalls and you make certain gestures. You're like, you're, you're going to get made fun of a little bit. But uh, there's some folks saying they're an entitled fan base. Some folks just throwing the 7-5 the and five label at them like it's just a good time. Now, I understand where that's coming from, but the the entitled part of it, I never really got because for AM, we keep saying in college football, hey, if you dedicate resources, if you put the right things into your college football team, you can expect results. So I don't think Texas AM is entitled as a fan base. I think they're expected as a fan base and more power to them. Now, here's the thing about AM they've always had what's required on paper. That roster, say what you want to say about them, extremely talented. Yes, the portal has impacted them. They still got a lot of talent on that roster. They're top 20 in the country in returning production. Connor Wegman, I think he's got a very tremendous what-if factor for them playing quarterback. I think he has a lot of unknowns around how good he could be. We've seen flashes from him when he's healthy. I think the AM offense has a lot of reason for excitement. And perfectly put for AM, they have a, a head coach now entering into the, the fold for them that has exactly what they need. Because what we just said, if the problem's on paper, then what's the solution? Probably something that's not on paper. Or I'll rephrase that. The problem isn't on paper with AM. They've got a ton of talent on that roster. So the solution, if the problem, or I'll re- I keep getting mixed up here. AM's got a great roster. They just need the right guy to put it together. Mike Elko, very clearly, is bringing to the table what I think AM needs structure, culture, toughness, all those things. Now you apply it to that talented roster. Vegas agrees now. Eight and a half over-under win total for them preseason. Telling you, okay, hey, AM, they could be in the neighborhood of a double-digit win team. So I'm just saying, heading a swivel. Heading a swivel for the good folks in SEC country that have been throwing shade at AM. And I'll, I'll say this too. We picked AM to go seven and five last season. They went seven and five. I'm here telling you, I don't think this is a seven and five football team upcoming. I don't, I know it's Mike Elko's first year. I do not think this is a seven and five football team in 2024. But we are in February, so. 
it is what it is. But punchline culture, man, doesn't have a great track record. Last year, this time, we were talking a lot about Brent Venables, a lot of folks making jokes about him being a head coach and Oklahoma's not playing defense and, oh, they're going to be this and that in the SEC. Like, we'll see what they are in the SEC, but Oklahoma won double-digit wins last year. Punchline culture, zero. Brent Venables in Oklahoma, one. I think these teams and these individuals are set up for the same kind of success in 2024. Now, we were extremely fortunate, and we're extremely fortunate in this job to be able to have access to head coaches in college football. I was trying to think of another way to say that. There's no other way. We're extremely blessed to be able to sit down one-on-one and talk to the individuals in charge of some of the biggest college football programs in the country. And so we got to sit down and talk for a few minutes with Dan Lanning, who just transparently, I'm an enormous fan of his. I love the way he does things. I love his culture. I love the brand he's created at Oregon, not just on the field, but off the field, the way they recruit. Like, I think Oregon has already achieved a ton of things. Uh, They have a powder keg underneath them, I believe, as they move into the Big Ten when it comes to what they could be long-term. I'm excited for Oregon, and it was a pleasure to sit down and talk ball and everything in between with Dan Lanning. So, without further ado, here's the head ball coach of the Oregon Ducks. We now have the pleasure by being joined by the head coach of the Oregon Ducks, Dan Lanning. Coach, just as a college football fan, when I get to watch on Saturdays, watching you either from the pregame or on the sideline, is one of my favorite things because you get absolutely fired up from the chest bumps to the pregame speech. What is it about football that gets so much of your passion that gets you fired up? Well, I love playing, um, and I can't play anymore. So, so the next closest thing is coaching, and um, it, it's just something fun about it. it. Doesn't feel like you're working, man. It's a uh, it's a physical sport. It kind of involves all the things that I really appreciate, you know, toughness and you know, physicality and intelligence. And I just think there's a lot of pieces that make football, you know, the greatest game in the world. And uh, to get to be a part of it every, every week and uh, every day is a lot of fun for me. And the word culture gets thrown around a lot by different coaches, and it's kind of become a buzzword in college football. But watching your team last year, like the culture that y'all played with on the field, like jumped out of the screen. How, how do you go about building a strong culture in your mind when it comes to what y'all did last year? Yeah, we talk about our DNA traits a lot, and, and we always say that. We say if you're watching our team play, you know, those DNA traits need to show up. You need to be able to sit there and say, I can see that, that I can describe that. You know, one of our DNA traits is connection, right? And you want to see that connection when you watch our team play. Um, growth, you know, you want to see us get better week to week, the way we improve throughout the season or even throughout the game. Um, you know, toughness, sacrifice. So all those things we want to see show up. And I'm, I'm certainly um, maybe a younger coach, but – I didn't used to think the culture stuff mattered. Now I realize it's about the only thing that does matter. Well, the last time that you joined us, you gave us just an absolute golden quote. You said, everybody wants the baby, but nobody wants to go through the labor pains today in modern college football. Uh, is there some more labor pains that y'all are going to go through this upcoming season to get to where you want to go? Is there another evolution for y'all when it comes to 2024? I hope so. I hope so, because that means you're growing, right? Like, I, I hope it's not easy. I don't think it will be easy. Um, We've got a talented team, but there's a lot of work to be done for us to be the team that we want to be. And that means there's some labor pains, right? you got to learn through uh, some wins and losses, not necessarily on the field, but off the field and in practice and uh, in the meeting room. So there's there's some growth in front of us that I'm really excited about. And that means that we're going to experience some difficulty in that transition. Well, last year you guys had one of the best quarterbacks, and not the best quarterback in the entire country in Bo Nix, and y'all just go out and get probably the next best option via the transfer portal in Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma. What made him the right fit for y'all when it, come to, when it came to you know, establishing that next guy for y'all next year? 
Well, I think we all know that it starts at quarterback. You got to have, um, you know, people that can compete to win. And if you don't have that, it's really hard to win in college ball. So we're really excited about the people we were able to add, you know, Dylan, Dante, uh, the guys that we have in that room right now. But Dylan's proven to be a winner. Um, he's had a lot of success in college football. I think you look at the final stretch of college football last season, you see a lot of quarterbacks with experience. You know, his experience is going to pay off uh, for us as well as having those other guys in the room that are really talented. You mentioned Dante Moore, Coach. I mean, it's very, very rare for anybody to be able to keep more than one high-profile quarterback on their depth chart, and y'all went out and, and acquired two really high-profile quarterbacks via the portal. What were those conversations like with him when it came to him making a decision to come to Eugene? Yeah, you know, it really parlayed off of, you know, our conversation before he, you know, before he went to UCLA to start. And there was a really strong relationship there. I think this place had something he desired and something he wanted to be a part of kind of the whole time. Um, and maybe going somewhere else helped him realize that even more, that this is the place that he wanted to be, um, wanted to experience, and, you know, some of the guys that he wanted to be able to play with. And y'all have, it feels like at least crushed the transfer portal from the outside looking. And I'm not sure how y'all feel, you know, behind closed doors over there, because I know you guys have an extremely high standard. But every single high-profile kid that jumps in there, it feels like y'all are always in the mix or getting a visit or, or getting commitment. What, what is your philosophy when it comes to recruiting the portal? Well, find guys that make your program better, right? Uh, that enhance the character of your program and that are going to create competition, you know. And for us, we still always want to build it from the ground up. We want to sign great high school uh, classes, but competition is necessary to get the best out of people. So we want to create that competition and find ways to enhance our roster, make sure we don't have holes uh, when you step on the field on Saturday. Uh, and I think that gives us our best chance of being successful. And not just at the portal level, but also the high school level, y'all have crushed it. When it comes to recruiting the line of scrimmage, it feels like watching Oregon over the course of the last couple of seasons, y'all are built like a Big Ten team even before getting to the Big Ten. What's the eval process for y'all when it comes to finding the right big human beings in the trenches? Well, I just think winning football in general starts up front. If you want to be a team that's recognized as a tough team, a team that can control the line of scrimmage, you have to have great players up front. You have to have size. Uh, you have to have strength. Uh, in the front, and that's what we've looked to recruit. Um, and, we, you know, we've been fortunate enough to be able to, to put multiple guys in those positions, and that's going to create, again, more one-on-ones for players, uh, you know, a better opportunity to reestablish line of scrimmage uh, on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively, and give your guys outside a chance to win, whether it's in the secondary or wide out, um, give your backs a chance to run or linebackers to play clean. Coach, is there a little extra pride on the defensive side of the ball for you? Because now you're a head coach. You obviously coach defense at Georgia and throughout other stops. Is there a little extra part of you that's like, yeah, I want to see my defense go run and hit somebody? I mean, I love defensive football. Um, but I'll say this, sitting in the head coach chair, you like it when your offense goes out there and scores a lot of points. Sure. Uh, I've, I've become pretty fond of both, you know, uh, and I don't like being on the wrong side of either. So, um, you know, we were one of the uh, two teams, I think, in college football this past year that finished with a top 10 scoring offense and a top 10 scoring defense. And I think what that means is you're getting better in practice, right? When you go against a really good opponent every day in practice, um, you know, you hope that, that can be some of the best competition you see all year. I love that. Yeah, we like defense or offense? Oh, we like both. We're really good at both at Oregon. <laughs> when it comes to the move to the Big Ten, what about that move fires you up? going to be a lot of fun games for us as fans to watch. What about this move to the Big Ten Conference gets you excited? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of it. Um, good, great football, first off. You know, you're going to get to place against some of the premier programs in college football. There's a lot of these places that I haven't been able to go to as a coach, and I've kind of been uh, to a lot of different stops in my stops um, and in my time in college ball. So just getting to go to some of these places for the first time, I think will be a lot of fun to get to play some of these teams. I think will be, you know, a lot of fun. And as crazy as college football has been the last few years, there's certainly some clarity for us at Oregon 
uh, with the conference that we're joining and where that positions us for the future. And they got to come to Autzen too. I mean, the, the environment that y'all are going to get over the course of the next couple of seasons with games against Michigan and Ohio State in the future and Penn State and all that. I mean, is that something that you look forward to getting to be in, in an atmosphere like that with those Big Ten games being played? Yeah, every coach, every player wants to play in big games. And uh, with this move for us in the future, we're going to get to play in some really big games, some great atmospheres um, that make, you know, college football that much more fun. Coach, as a, as a college football fan, we get to consume a lot of the things that y'all's creative teams put together. And it felt like every single week your creative team was just producing banger after banger. And the, the, the best banger was when you announced, like, hey, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm staying in Oregon. Uh, why? I'll, I'll rephrase that. What about Oregon is so special that makes you continue to reaffirm, like, hey, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere? Yeah, I just love everything about this place. Um, it starts with the commitment from the top. You know, we have really great alignment. I enjoy working with our athletic director, Rob Mullins, every single day. Um, you know, he's somebody that, that I'm able to lean on. Um, I think that we have clear direction of where we're headed. Um, and, you know, for me personally, my family, we really enjoy living here. And I have three boys that we've moved a good amount. It's nice not to move. It's nice not to, you know, pack up boxes again. And when you see everything that you want in a job uh, and you have a program that you enjoy coaching, players you made commitments to, you know, that's something you want to see through. Without question. Well, Coach, we appreciate you making some time for us in the midst of, you know, busier season here before y'all get a little bit of a break. But uh, we can't wait to watch y'all in the spring and hopefully get out there in the fall to, to see y'all in person. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Obviously, extremely appreciate Coach Dan Laney making some time for us to talk some ball and talk all things Oregon and their move to the Big Ten and culture and how they recruit. I mean, I could sit and talk ball with Dan Laney all day. I truly believe that Oregon is going to be a national power for years to come, not just because of their brand, but because of how they build their roster, because of the way that Dan Laney prioritizes talent acquisition and by nature of what he brings to the table from a culture perspective. So... While we were airing that interview with Dan Lanning, a little bit of breaking news for you. You had some breaking news as it pertains to the college football playoff. The board of managers unanimously approved the 5 plus 7 qualifier format. Now, what does that mean? Essentially, in this 12-team playoff, those five teams that will uh, be able to have uh, an auto bid of sorts will be the five highest-ranked conference champions and then that seven will be the next seven highest-ranked teams as determined by the College Football Playoff Committee. Now, worth noting, those five conference champions, Notre Dame, with them not being in a conference, they will not be eligible to be one of those conference champions, to my understanding, or to be one of those five teams that get an auto bid. So Notre Dame can run the table, go undefeated. They're still going to be in that group of seven as opposed to that group of five. Now, this should also be noted that when it comes to this format, and this is going to be true with the 12-team anyway, and we kind of expected to get this format, with this being the case, with us having this format, that is, you're going to see teams like Alabama and LSU and, and fill in the blank of these superpower teams that historically we had seen them, you know, if they lose two games, they're out of the college football playoff. Not so much in this case. Like you can, I think in some cases, even depending on your schedule, you could drop three games and still find your way into that seven teams. So when it comes to the future of this format and it comes to the, you know, the future of the college football playoff as a whole, I think a lot of people were pounding on the doorstep for a 12-team playoff saying, well, it's going to take away from the SEC getting a chance to win all those national championships. It'll even the playing field more. With this format, 
with us going to 12 teams here, it's not going to decrease the number of SEC and Big Ten teams that we have in the dance. If anything, with it being the next seven highest ranked teams, I think you're going to see probably at least three of those other teams be Big Ten or SEC. Heck, you might see five of that seven teams be made up of SEC and Big Ten teams. So, well, relative to uh, the college football landscape as a whole right now, just want us to touch on that together. I don't think it's wildly surprising to most folks that have kept up with this. I don't know how long we'll have this format long, long term, because you always hear rumblings about expansion and revising it. But for right now, this is what the college football playoff is going to look like. Again, five highest-ranked conference champions plus the next seven highest-ranked teams as determined by the college football playoff. Also worth noting, in this format, Florida State would have gotten a bye. All right, so I don't mean to reopen a wound there, but it's just worth noting Florida State, they would have gotten a bye given that format. They would have been a college football playoff team. All right, speaking of Florida State now, let's move right along here. This plot continues to thicken when it comes to Florida State and their efforts to get out of the ACC. Andy Staples has a really good article on this whole topic on on3.com. So one, watch the Andy Staples show that is live every single morning on this platform. I believe they are live at 8 p.m. Eastern, or excuse me, 8 a.m. Eastern. Very important, 8 a.m. Eastern, very big difference. Um, but he's got a great story on this very topic on all3.com. Here's what we need to know when it comes to Florida State versus the ACC. ACC, Florida State, both suing each other. Okay, so the ACC filed for dismissal in the, in, uh, against the Florida State lawsuit or one of their Florida State lawsuits. Now, here's where it gets kind of interesting. In that lawsuit... There is, and I want to be specific how I say this, there is language indicating a willingness to negotiate with Florida State. Now, what that language is, I don't want to get too far in the weeds because, quite frankly, it's a lot of really specific legal jargon that just, quite honestly, the, the main thing is the main thing here. So you're saying there's a chance. So you're saying there's a chance that Florida State could negotiate their way out of where things stand right now with the ACC. Now, obviously, everybody involved would like for that to be the case in Tallahassee. We'll talk more about that right now. But first things first, make sure you subscribe to the On3 YouTube channel. This is from a live show that you're watching right now. If you're live on YouTube, we appreciate y'all for that. You're a real one. If you're watching this as a one-off video, we appreciate you too. Just make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss our live shows Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Appreciate y'all for that. So the question that we ask then, if it's possible for them to negotiate their way out of it, or there is language indicating that there's a willingness to negotiate with with Florida State from the ACC side of things. The question then becomes, all right, well, how much would it cost? <laughs> how much are we talking here? Name your price. Everyone's got a price. What's yours? Andy Staples in his article estimates that the number to get out of the deal with the ACC for Florida State would be between $150 million and, oh, I don't know, $572 million. So somewhere between those two. Now, the next question is, uh, would they pay it? Can they pay it? I mean, $572 million, that's a whole lot of money. I think something to consider is Florida State joining another conference, notably the SEC or the Big Ten. That would make everyone involved more powerful in that deal. Whether it's the Big Ten or the SEC, you add a huge brand to your conference. If you're Florida State, you join one of the power conferences going forward into the future of college football. You're going to be one of the halves going forward. And so you join a conference where you're going to get more money as a result of you joining the conference, you probably bolster the interest and bolster the purse for one of those conferences. They get more money overall. And in today's college athletics, like money is power, just kind of is what it is. So if Florida State were to leave the ACC, 
if they were to find a way to, to meet their number that is required, whatever that ends up being, again, between 150 and $572 million, give or take, the floodgates would open. Make no mistake about that. The floodgates would open. Because if Florida State leaves, we know how this works, man, in conference realignment. It's a buddy system. Nobody leaves by themselves. So if Florida State leaves, I think the natural response or natural thought would be it's either Miami or Clemson leaving with them. And if those three or two schools leave the conference, if we get one of those you know, major pie makers leaving the conference, like that value of the ACC, that purse becomes a little bit smaller and that brand of the ACC begins to shrink. And you probably have other schools saying, all right, well, if Florida State's leaving and Clemson's leaving or Miami's leaving, and this pie becomes much smaller for us. I mean, I, hey, we're, we're all on the same ship here. We see this thing taking water. Maybe we jump to the Big 12 if we're Duke or North Carolina. Maybe we jump to the Big 10 if they'll take us. I mean, that becomes a whole other conversation, a whole other can of worms to talk about. But going back to what I just said, Florida State is the one that is making the pie for the most part in the ACC. That was kind of where this whole thing really sparked is Michael Alford going to the powers that be and saying, listen, we are the one drawing most of the intrigue here for this conference. So it's not necessarily a fair deal for us to make the entire pie and then bring home a small slice. That doesn't make any sense. If you're Florida State, you're looking at the Big Ten and the SEC and saying, Northwestern's making $35 million more than us per year? Vanderbilt's making $35 million more than us a year? What? How does that add up? How does that make sense? And if you're Florida State, can you blame them? Can can you blame Florida State for wanting to get what they're worth in today's college athletics where it seems like just about everybody and their mama is making moves for their best interest? For Florida State, I have to believe if they were to pay whatever that ridiculous sum of money is to get out of the ACC, if there is somehow a real willingness to negotiate here and there's a real out here to get through the door, I have to believe they're going to make back whatever they have to pay. Like in the long term, to be in the Big Ten, you're going to make a lot more money per year. And also what that number is right now with what those teams make per year in the Big Ten, I have to believe Florida State joining that conference would only increase that number. So the question obviously becomes, well, where where do they go? Is it the Big Ten? Is it the SEC? Josh Newberg and I were talking about this yesterday in the office, and he's been pounding this drum really for the better part of the last decade, saying if Florida State leaves the ACC, it will be to the Big Ten. Reason for that being... Florida wants to be the school in the SEC, more power to them. But for the Big Ten, they would love to expand their footprint. They'd love to be a coast-to-coast conference. Because then you got USC and UCLA and Oregon and Washington, and then you go all the way down the other side of the United States, and you got Florida State. There's a lot of talent in the state of Florida now. We all understand that. We've talked about that a fair amount on this show. There's a lot of talent in the Sunshine State, and having Florida State in their conference gives you more access to it. Because then, if I'm Michigan, I can go into a living room in Florida and say, hey, your kid is going to play a fair amount of games during his career in your state. Come to Michigan. You'll be able to see your kid play a couple times throughout his career. It's a good deal. And I'm telling you, it's, it's a real selling point for a lot of kids when it comes to their recruitment. Here's the real thing I want to talk about when it comes to this whole conversation. And I've said it a couple times when it comes to conference realignment. Like, don't trust anyone. Don't trust anyone. Because the rooms in which these conversations are happening are so freaking small, they get to control the narrative. They get to tell us whatever they want to tell us, whatever information that gets out, gets out because they want it to get out. And then on the backside of that, 
they get to actually do what they're doing behind closed doors. There is just the perfect cover for any kind of conversation they're having because there's so few people involved there. So they get to make this headline and, and, and you know leak whatever they want to leak to the media over here and make this big scene. And then all the way on the other side of things, it's, well, actually, the deal got done. And Josh Newberg said it perfectly when we were discussing this. He's like, it's always impossible until it isn't. And that's the exact same thing we heard with Texas and Oklahoma. It's impossible they can leave the SEC early. A week later, it gets done. We heard the same thing with Florida State. Hey, the grant of rights, it is ironclad. It's lock solid. There, there's no way anybody is getting out of that deal. And now we're having this conversation around there's a willingness to negotiate, name your price kind of thing. So what do I think is going to happen? I think Florida State's leaving. When is that going to happen? I don't know, but there is too much money involved for Florida State. There's too much money to be made for Florida State to stay in the ACC. So what are they able to pay? That's a great question that I don't know a lot of people know the answer to. How much would it take? Again, we're, we're speculating it's somewhere between $150 million and $572 million. If there is an opportunity for them to get out, they will move heaven and earth, in my opinion, to get out. Because there is not a world where Florida State should ever make less money, and this is no shade of anybody else, they should not make less money than a Northwestern or a Vanderbilt or a Rutgers or whatever other school, other, other brand that exists in the college sports, college football landscape. So Florida State and the ACC, the plot thickens. When is this going to happen? I feel like it's one of those things that as the buzz grows, the feeling around it kind of feels like uh, it'll happen sooner rather than later. Now, that could be two years. That could be before the season. I don't know. But Florida State have to believe they're getting out, and I wholeheartedly believe their next stop would be the ACC. So we'll see. As, as usual, we'll see. There's always a buzz. There's always a little bit of rumblings. And they kind of die down. We're told it's not going to happen. And then eventually, a couple weeks later, it ends up happening. So, again, trust nobody. If your mom tells you conference realignment facts or they tell you reports, don't trust her. Right? Do not trust her. Trust nobody when it comes to the college football realignment saga. Put out the question on Twitter the other day. I said, uh, what are your most surprising headlines when it comes to this college football season? Essentially asking you to call your shot of what you think is going to be a headline for us. That will be surprising when it comes to the 2024 season. We got a lot of great answers from y'all. I want to start with one, though, from our friend Floyda Gator. Now, this is not to be confused with Florida Gator. This is Floyda Gator, and the, the Gator is, is with an eight there. So we appreciate them getting at us. They say undefeated Georgia versus undefeated Florida in Jacksonville. First off, this would be absolutely awesome. I would be all about this, seeing both those teams go at it. It would be box office, college game day would be there. Heck, we would do everything in our power to be there for this one. A lot is uh, thought around Florida and their chances to be undefeated to get to this game. We'll talk about that. I want to make it clear. This is not a cakewalk for Georgia to be undefeated heading to Jacksonville. They open with Clemson in Atlanta. Clemson, they're feisty. They got something to prove this year. I truly believe that. They have a game at Kentucky. They're at Alabama. Another feisty game against Auburn. That one will be in Athens, but still Auburn. I mean, they gave them all they could handle, and then some in Jordan-Hare last year. You're at Texas. Like, this is going to be a, going to be a climb for Georgia if they want to get to this game undefeated. Now, for Florida, they play four preseason-ranked teams their first seven games. They open with Miami and Gainesville. They play A&M. They're at Mississippi State, and that could be tricky, so we'll see. UCF. They play at Tennessee, another ranked team, and they play Kentucky, another preseason-ranked team. So will those teams all be ranked when they play them between uh, Miami, A&M, Tennessee, and Kentucky? We'll see. But the bottom line here is this is a gauntlet for Florida on the front and back end of their schedule. 
So if Georgia goes undefeated leading into this game, this just reaffirms like that Georgia is a factory. It means they were able to replace the offensive production that Brock Bowers left. Also, it means that they were able to replace the defensive production that they lost from this past season. Because Georgia, as good as they are on this roster, they only bring back 55% of the production defensively from 2023. So if you're able to be undefeated and play teams like Texas, like Alabama, heck, we'll see, we'll see what Auburn's going to be in, in this season under Hugh Freeze. I don't know. But if you're able to be undefeated heading into this game, reaffirms that Georgia, the factory effect is still in place. And Carson Beck, the way that he's probably elevated his game if they're undefeated, probably have to win a few shootouts or at least put up some solid points offensively against a team like Texas. Means he elevated his game his second year as the guy at Georgia. Y'all, that is scary for the rest of college football. That is scary. That should be scary for everyone else involved because if Carson Beck levels up even a little bit more from last season where he was 70% completion percentage on the season, watch out. Watch out because that means Georgia is versatile. That means Georgia is dangerous. And that means Georgia can win any kind of ball game that they have in front of them. Not saying they're perfect, but I am saying it would trend towards Georgia being a force in the college football playoff when they get there. Now, if Florida starts undefeated, if they go 7-0 to start this thing, the obvious part is you can't have a major drop-off from starting 7-0, so we all understand that. But this should change the optics around how we view Billy Napier. There's a lot said about Billy Napier right now, a lot of it negative, a lot about it him being on the hot seat and what they didn't do last year. Like, if they start 7-0, this is proof that his team and roster is good enough to win. Like, he's assembled a roster that can legitimately win football games by nature of who they have to play, by nature of who they're playing against, you know, those preseason ranked teams. And also, more importantly, not just they assembled a team that can win, they learned how to win. It's one thing to put players together on a roster. It's a whole other thing to be able to do it on a Saturday afternoon and do it consistently. It also means they have likely made some really major strides offensively from what they were a year ago. Graham Mertz, I thought, played a lot better than people want to give him credit for. They only averaged 26 points a game in 2023. There's a lot of folks that have strong opinions on Billy Napier. A lot of people would owe Billy Napier and Graham Mertz, I think, several apologies if they go undefeated to start the year. It further drives home that there is real buy-in with Billy Napier and Gainesville. We've said this for a while here, but now you have the results to legitimize that buy-in. Because from last year, at least, I saw a team that continued to fight for their head coach. There's a lot of opportunities for them to pack it in. There's a lot of down points in this season that I think a lesser team or a more fragmented locker room would have given up. But for Billy Napier and this team, I saw them fight from 10 down and, and win in the fourth quarter against South Carolina. I saw them give Florida State all they can handle and then some. I saw a team that played for their head coach. Now, if you start winning football games the way that I think Florida would like to win football games, that legitimizes the buy-in that he's created there. That strong culture would be, I think, even further, like I just said, legitimized because there's a lot of anti-Billy Napier headlines right now. There's a lot being said around, you know, they need to win this many games to keep his job. And there's a lot of things on the external right now in Gainesville. But if you start 7-0, and that culture, the internal part of things to, to block out the external noise, you got to give a lot of credit to how Billy Napier has elevated that team since he's been there. So it hasn't happened yet, obviously, but if he starts 7-0 and going into the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, people need to change the way they start talking about Billy Napier. So that game in itself, we would obviously predict it when it got here. That would be box office in every sense of the word, man. That would be, that would be big time. 
to say the least, if we get Florida and Georgia undefeated, man. That'd be, that'd be just good for college football. Just I, I love when rivalries are healthy. And that would be a rivalry that I'd love to see healthy once again. Now, another one of you hit us up. Joe Go. You said your surprising headline would be Miller Moss having a Heisman caliber season. So I'm assuming this means he's probably in New York. Maybe he wins the Heisman. This would be massive. This would be absolutely massive. Now, again, this would be huge for the Heis Miller brand that we tweeted out as soon as he started throwing touchdowns against Louisville in that bowl game. He went for six touchdowns against Louisville, which is probably a big reason why we're having this conversation to begin with. This would be Lincoln Riley back in his bag, right? We've seen him do this with quarterbacks. It's no secret why guys go and play for Lincoln Riley. His resume speaks for itself. Baker Mayfield, Heisman Trophy, Kyler Murray, Heisman Trophy, Caleb Williams, Heisman Trophy, Jalen Hurts, completely changed the trajectory of what he was as a quarterback and now doing really well in the NFL for the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm still waiting to see the spring ball buzz around Miller Moss because they did take a transfer portal quarterback from UNLV. I'm curious to see just the temperature post-spring in Los Angeles. Is it Miller Moss's team or is it, yeah, we'll see how they do in fall camp. But if Miller Moss is having a Heisman caliber season, it's massive. It's massive, not just on a micro level, for the Heis Miller stock, and hopefully we'll have trademarked Heis Miller before that even gets rolling, so maybe we can sell some t-shirts. I don't know, but this is massive for what it means on a macro level for USC, because if USC has their quarterback in the Heisman Trophy race, much less winning the Heisman Trophy, what does that mean for what they're doing on the field? It means USC is holding their own and doing more than holding their own given their schedule because they open with LSU in Las Vegas. They're at Michigan. They got Wisconsin. They got Penn State. This is a line of scrimmage league. And so if you're winning in a line of scrimmage league, that means that you're playing defense. So in a roundabout way, Miller Moss being up for the Heisman Trophy means that Lincoln Riley has evolved because you can't have a player in the Heisman Trophy race if you're not winning and you can't win in the Big Ten if you're not playing defense. So Miller Moss, the microcosm of him being able to be in the Heisman Trophy race just speaks volumes to what USC could be. And even more so, this changes the optics around USC. Because what do people think about USC right now? Hey, Lincoln Riley, quarterback whisperer. Yeah, they're probably going to score some points. But tell you what, man, on the defensive side of the ball, like, good luck. Good luck to you. Good luck to you if you want to go play defense at USC in the Big Ten. Like, the thought is they're going to get ragdolled. That's the thought. Now, is that the reality? Remains to be seen. But if they go out and win in the Big Ten, they go out and win double-digit games in the Big Ten, and you have a quarterback go win the Heisman Trophy on the back of your defense likely playing well, that changes how you feel if you're a recruit around USC. That changes what you think you can do at USC in the long term. Now, it also means that they struck gold with their defensive hires in Dantlin, Eric Henderson, and others. That means the philosophy has changed at USC. It's totally changed. Because we've said this many times now. USC, I do not believe, has a massive personnel problem. I believe it is a philosophical problem at USC. Whether it's how they practice, whether it's how they drill tackling. I'm not here to question how a team does things behind closed doors, but I see what happens on Saturdays, and I can tell you something during the week is not right. And I believe that the powers that be at USC, potentially including or excluding Lincoln Riley, felt the same way. That's why you made a defensive coordinator change. Like, it is what it is. So if USC and Miller Moss had the success that this surprising headline would have, you're pouring gasoline on what USC is going to be in the Big Ten, and uh, you would see dividends, I believe, on the recruiting trail. Last surprising headline I want to get to here, Nick Baker. Not to be confused with Nick Brake. Same letters in his last name, 
not the same person, I don't believe, might be Nick Brakesburner, remains to be seen. He says Notre Dame is going undefeated, ranked number one in the country. Now, by nature of the news that we just got on this show, the college football playoff format, five plus seven, Notre Dame would not be an automatic bid in those five. They'd be one of the seven highest ranked teams so they don't play in a conference. But let's just talk about what this would mean for Notre Dame now. If Notre Dame goes undefeated, and they have a tough schedule, they're at A&M, they play Louisville, they play Florida State, they're at USC, but if they're undefeated and ranked number one, man, that means just on a micro level that Mike Denbrock did with Riley Leonard what he did with Jaden Daniels at LSU. Now, I understand Mike Denbrock is not solely responsible for the success of Jaden Daniels at LSU, but he definitely played a role. I think Riley Leonard has a ton of ability. I am still transparently a little bit wait and see on him. Ton of tools. I love what he does running the football. He's got an NFL caliber arm. There's a reason why NFL scouts love him. I'm waiting to see them really put it together. But if Mike Denbrock unlocks that and makes Riley Leonard like a, let's just say he's in the Heisman Trophy race and Notre Dame scored north of 40 points a game, that would change the entire thought process around what Notre Dame is as a, football to, as, a, as a football team under Marcus Freeman. And I think it also just speaks volumes to Marcus Freeman and what he's done in South Bend. Marcus Freeman continues to push the envelope as a head coach with the way that he's built his team. Need a quarterback via the portal? Go get Sam Hartman, the best one in there. Okay, you need another quarterback? Do you go to your depth chart and just go to you know, some of your younger talent? No, you go and push the envelope again and grab the best quarterback at that point in time, at least available in Riley Leonard. Do you, you, know, you need an offensive coordinator? You go get a guy who just called the best offense in the country and, and Mike Denbrock at LSU, you bring him back to Notre Dame. Uh, he's continued to level up year in and year out. And so this would be tremendous optically for Marcus Freeman. It'd be tremendous optically for Notre Dame. Because remember now, when Brian Kelly left for the LSU job, Notre Dame did not do a national search. They did not name an interim coach. They went right to Marcus Freeman and said, you're our guy, we're rolling with you, let's go. And if they go undefeated and finish number one in the country, got to feel pretty good about yourself if you're a Notre Dame fan. Got to feel pretty good about where things stand in South Bend. The glass ceiling would be shattered. There'd be glass everywhere. You'd be brushing off your shoulders and careful not to get cut because Notre Dame, what's always been said about them? What's always been the thought? Yeah, they've, they've really, you know, great tradition, great brand, but there's, there's kind of this, this governor on them, geographically, kind of in a weird spot in South Bend, Academic standards make it tough to recruit. You know, they're not in a conference. Does that scare away recruits? I don't know. Like, there's all these different thoughts as to why you can't be successful at Notre Dame. But, it's, but if Marcus Freeman, in the short amount of time he's been head coach, leads them to a number one ranked season, undefeated season, glass everywhere. And that would change, again, the way that you view Notre Dame. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do on the football field, you can accomplish it at Notre Dame. And I think that would be massive for Marcus Freeman on the recruiting trail, a guy who already prioritizes recruiting, a guy who already just leads the charge every single month of the year, pretty much. I mean, he's, he's getting after on the recruiting trail. That would just provide more proof of concept and make them even more dangerous when it comes to how they recruit in South Bend. So I love those surprising headlines. We appreciate y'all getting at us with those. Again, get at me on Twitter, Instagram, at JD Pakel. Hit me with those headlines, and uh, we'll unpack them on the show as we just did. So we'll keep on rolling here and have ourselves a good little time. Now, speaking of getting at me on Twitter and on Instagram, a lot of y'all followed us during the season when it came to Against the Suits. Now, Against the Suits, for those of y'all that aren't familiar, is our betting segment on this show. Week in and week out, we give you picks. 
We make sure we pay for the Christmas presents a little bit early, like we like to say on this show with the winnings that we get. Uh, take a look at some of these preseason win totals in the Big 12. Couple intriguing ones that I think we need to unpack together. These are these are all uh, per FanDuel. That is now FanDuel. We keep saying this every single segment. Figure it out. FanDuel, tighten up, sponsor the show. The ball is in your court. Uh, get at us. We're not hard to find, like Coach Prime says. Now we're going to talk about the Big Twelve right now. We're going to get to Coach Prime here in just a second. But before we do, how about Kansas State? Their over/under win total is nine and a half wins in the preseason. And Kansas State, man, I'll just say this: they feel a lot like the middle child of college football. Year in and year out, all they do is win, it feels like. Every single year, you know what you're going to get from them. But we always seem to kind of pass over the Kansas State hype every year. Chris Kleiman and the boys, I think, are going to be a contender in the Big 12 Conference for a Big 12 championship, that is, in the new Big 12. Vegas is telling you as much. 80% of their production is back from a year ago on defense. That's top five in the country. They allow 23 points a game. Will Howard starting at, no, 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 not Will Howard starting at quarterback for you. He's gone to Ohio State. Instead, enter into the fold Avery Johnson. And Avery Johnson, one, I think he's going to be a stud for you. Two, I think he fits a little bit more into the offensive style they want to play at Kansas State. Now, I understand that Colin Klein's also, he, he's gone as well at Texas A&M. I think the offense will still look similar. I think you'll still have a fair amount of the quarterback design run mixed in there. I think he's a little bit more explosive running the football. I think he adds a little bit more home run to what you can do offensively. Most of your heavy lifting from a schedule point of view for Kansas State is done in September. You're at Tulane. That'll be sneaky. Again, at Tulane. Tulane doesn't come to Manhattan. You have to go to Tulane, play Arizona, Oklahoma State. After September, I think all your games are really pretty winnable. If Avery Johnson can make your offense versatile, no questions about what he does running the football. But if he can be a steady force for you, pushing the ball downfield, you keep those safeties honest, you keep those linebackers from being able to trigger quickly, and they got to kind of pat their feet a couple times, I think Kansas State has all the makings to be a 10-win football team. Let's move on here. Colorado, over under nine and a half, or nine and a half. That would be ambitious. We'll rephrase that. Colorado, their over under win total is five and a half wins. Now, some folks are saying, whoa, five and a half wins? Some of you think that's way too high. Some of you think that's way too low. I think that's just right. I think if they make a bowl game in year two under Coach Prime, that is massive success. Remember now, before Deion Sanders got there, they won one football game. One. They won four last year. That's progress. If you win six this year, that's phenomenal. They got some real pieces in Colorado now. Some real pieces. A lot being made about what they didn't do the second half of last year. But still, I think you got a quarterback, Shadur Sanders, who a lot of people would agree is, if not in the top five, flirting with the top five quarterbacks in college football. Maybe the best pure football player, period, in Travis Hunter, who plays both ways, and that's just ridiculous. It's, I mean, that's X-Men kind of stuff. The obvious question mark is the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. The quarterback can't be sacked 50 times. They portaled in an offensive line. We'll see if that works. You can't allow five yards to carry on the defensive side. They've done a lot on that side of the ball as well to try and beef up. We'll see if that works. Schedule's tough, man, especially that second half. You have Kansas State at Arizona, at Texas Tech, Utah, Kansas. Now, I think at Texas Tech is sneaky. One, you got to go to Lubbock. Two, I think they're going to be a good team in general. The greatest obstacle here, though, with the schedule, I think is also potentially the greatest opportunity. Now, the obstacle part of this is obvious. It's a tough schedule. If you don't match up physically, you get beat up, you get worn down, bad things are happening. You also wonder if things go off the rails. You have a lot of guys that portaled in 
Is the culture strong enough to sustain a couple of losses and get back on track? We'll see. But as much as it is the obstacle, could also be a, a massive weapon for Deion Sanders. Because if they make a bowl game with this schedule, y'all, like that will be rocket fuel for Colorado. There will be zero questions about where they're headed under Deion Sanders. You can market that. You can flip that any way you want. If you win six football games and get to a bowl game in year two, when you won one game before he got there, there's no questioning the trajectory of Colorado and Coach Prime. So five and a half, I think that's about right. We'll see where they land. Texas Tech, they're over under eight and a half wins on the season. Now in February, which is where we are in the college football calendar, I think you base your opinion very much so on who the head coach is and what you think about them. I'd follow Joey McGuire into a dark alley. Like, I would go to war tomorrow with Joey McGuire. That's how highly I think about him, having been around him at Baylor. That's a dude who gets culture, who values his players, who makes his players feel valued, and is all about the right things, which is winning. They bring back Taj Brooks, who was a 1,500-plus-yard rusher last year in Lubbock. A lot of buzz around the young talent now, specifically five-star-plus wide receiver Micah Hudson. Workable schedule now for the Red Raiders at Arizona, at Oklahoma State. But besides that, I don't see Kansas State. I don't see Utah. I don't see UCF, and you avoid having to go to UCF, and much less UCF being sneaky wherever you play them. People talk a lot about Texas Tech's eval process being ahead of the curve. People talk a lot about their culture like I just did. I think it's hard to quantify what is going to be successful about Texas Tech as we sit here in February because you can't quantify your eval process just yet. You can't quantify how many wins culture is worth, but I think it's kind of like an iceberg. A lot of that is under the surface. A lot of that's really solid. And you're going to see results here over the course of time. So I, I'll just say this right now. We're not really a hot take show, but I'll make one right now. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Texas Tech won the whole conference. Would shock me? Not at all. We'll see who's playing quarterback for them, but I would not be surprised in the slightest if Texas Tech ended up winning the whole darn thing. So it is what it is. want to move quickly here over these last two teams. Kansas State, they're, or I said Kansas State. We already talked about them. Kansas, their over-under win total is eight and a half wins. Can we just acknowledge how cool this is? Kansas. Kansas was the butt of a lot of jokes. They, they were, I mean, heck, we did a punchline culture, punch culture segment on Kansas. They would have a ton of receipts. What Lance Leipold's done there since he's arrived in Lawrence is nothing short of phenomenal. I'll say this right now. Kansas, football school. You can tell him I said it. I think Kansas is a football school. Jalen Daniels, when he's healthy, I think he is one of, if not the best player on the field consistently. They have one, two, three wide receivers coming back this season that were top 50 in the country in yards per reception. Translation, they're going to score points. Kansas over under eight and a half wins. I don't know, but I love that we're talking about Kansas in this light. Last school I want to talk about here, tied for the highest win total in the Big, Ten, or in the Big 12 Conference preseason with Kansas State. The Utah Utes, man. This is Vegas telling us what we already know, but re, re, uh, re-emphasizing, if we want to say that. They're telling you they can win the whole conference, can Utah. Number 16 in the country in returning production. And you factor in the best flow in college football is coming back in Cam Rising, who didn't play last year, playing quarterback for you, though. He led you to a Rose Bowl. I love what they bring to the table. I think they're going to be on an absolute mission this year. Will Kyle Whittingham and, co- and company. Um, I just I know what I'm getting with them. I know what I'm getting in this team. They're at Oklahoma State, have Arizona. Those are the only two games that you maybe raise your eyebrows at if you're a Utah fan. Again, with Kyle Whittingham and company, I know what it is. I know who they are, and they're going to be vicious, I believe, this upcoming season in the Big 12 Conference. So 
A lot of intriguing win totals to get at there, but uh, get at me on Twitter, get at me on Instagram. Let me know what locks you're rolling with when it comes to these win totals within the Big 12 Conference. FanDuel, ball's in your court now. Let's get after it. Appreciate everybody dialed in live, man. We love having you all part of this show. Show is not done yet, but quick plug, live Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. This is our time of the year now. Junkie season, all right? Message boards, intel, stuff going on on social media. We're talking all of that on this platform, the Onthro YouTube channel, on this show, the People's College Football Show, The Hard Count. So I mentioned social media, and there was a clip going on on social media, going, kind of making its way around the Twitter sphere last night of Alabama and what they were doing to warm up for winter conditioning. And to be honest, I didn't know this was a thing that we had to address, but I want us to, to talk about it right now because a lot of folks thought, you know, Alabama is falling off. I saw a lot of things, a, a lot of things from people saying Alabama's cooked. Alabama and the Saban era is done. Look at them. Look at what they're doing. So if we can, if we can cue that video up right now, this is an Instagram live from the associate director of player personnel, Aaron Hodges. And you see here the guys doing what are called power skips. And essentially what this is, one, every single team in the country is warming up like this for winter conditioning. Okay, every single team in the country. What this is, though, is you have players generating force into the ground, jumping up as high as they can, stabilizing themselves, landing on one leg, to try and get their muscles ready to go and sprint to make explosive movements. Now, the reason why this is shocking to some people to see is the fact that this isn't what you see guys do pre-game in pads to get ready for a game. Well, these guys aren't getting ready for a game. They're getting ready to go do conditioning or they're ready to go do cone drills or ready to go lift. Like the way you warm up for a winter conditioning workout is very different than how you warm up for a college football game. And this thought that Alabama is cooked, Alabama's fallen off, look at Kalen DeBoer, like, this is the exact same person running the show when it comes to David Ballou at Alabama as it was under Saban. So what everything about Kalen DeBoer should not be tied to Alabama and their strength conditioning program. That's all the same. Like, yes, there's some different personnel. There's some different people involved here. But the head honcho, David Ballou, same guy running the show. So just because we didn't get this Instagram live version when Nick Saban was the head coach there doesn't mean this wasn't the same exact thing happening. So again, every single team in the country warms up like that. Just because you got it on Instagram Live from Aaron Hodges doesn't mean it's not happening at your favorite school, your favorite team. Heck, I was, I was at Cornell. We play FCS Division I football, all right? Ivy League, no playoff, like very, very different than what Alabama does. We still warmed up like that when it came to getting prepared for winter conditioning. So I think this is just a further proof that the, the one sign of the times in college football was social media. And two, this is just different access than I think you would have ever gotten with Nick Saban. Like, on three put out just an elite tweet from the social team yesterday, and it was highlighting Kalen DeBoer being the first Alabama coach to use social media. Nick Saban never used social media. Never. Never touched it. Was still the greatest of all time. Still racked up number one ranked classes. And Kalen DeBoer just quote tweeted an Alabama football tweet from the, the Alabama main account highlighting some of the student athletes of the week. Just because Nick Saban wasn't having guys Instagram live during workouts and Kalen DeBoer and his associate dire director of player personnel had a short video stream of guys getting warm for a workout, there's no success that we can project here or lack of success we can project here. Everybody does it. It's a new coach. It's a new staff. But the head strength conditioning coach, David Ballou, that is the same. They were doing that behind closed doors anyway. So 
folks that are having an issue with this and making statements on Bama and Bama's this, Bama's that, like they're just very much so out of the loop and uh, not familiar with what happens during winter conditioning for college football teams across the country. No shade, just calling it how we see it, calling a spade a spade. It is what it is. Now, understand some of those movements from those guys, some of them look less natural. If you're a big 300-pound human being doing a power skip, putting all of the force of your body on one leg as you move from bound to bound, like, yeah, that might look a little bit different. Dude's trying to get warm for a workout, man. It is what it is, all right? It is what it is. So before you throw shade, just go, go out in the backyard and try that a few times. And then also imagine being 300 pounds trying to do that. So it is what it is, but we're all for it. We're all for it. Get warm. You're ready to roll for your winter conditioning, man. Crazy time in college football. Crazy time in college football. One, that's winter conditioning. That's high anxiety time. Two, it's crazy time in college football that we're talking about a team warming up for a winter conditioning workout during our college football show. But it is what it is. It is what it is. Hey, people's champ, producer of the hard count, Nick Brake joining the show. Nick, what's up, baby? How we living? Good morning, JD. You look good. I appreciate it, dude. You feel good? I do. So we've in this new little setup, it's like our... It's temporary studio, but it's going to be our studio for a long time. Yeah. I don't really quite have an area uh, to, like, have this because we're all, it's also compact over here. So I'm kind of like 12 feet away from my computer. So um, it's going to be fun asking questions it's, today, it's JD. It's kind of like uh, Test some eyesight. It's kind of like the Kansas Jayhawks playing an arrowhead. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's temporary, but it's temporary yeah. not really. You know what I mean? Like they're using it for the entire season. So, like, yeah. are we the Kansas Jayhawks of YouTube? I don't know. They're going to play a few games in the soccer stadium there, too. So, it, like, the weird capacity difference will be insane. You got a lot of people there. Okay. Well, there's only 17,000 seats in that stadium, oh, too. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Versus, you know, the yeah, huge arrowhead. They'll pack arrowhead. Out. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, JD, everyone needs to get their questions in. Um, the debate today, and man, there always are. Uh, it's it's about those discussion, the, the most surprising headlines, JD. Oh, really? Okay. Um, That's fun to see. Mostly about Florida, JD. Uh, saying that, uh, I forget his name. What was it? Flo- Floyda. Floyda. Floyda saying that that was, that was a little bullish and that, that's not going to happen. JD, is there any path to, to what was it, 7-0, and or do you think that was a, just a, a I mean, very wild take? Listen, it's, it's the wildest sport in existence, so far be it for me to say what will or won't happen. I would be surprised if we were sitting in a world where Florida was 7-0. and That's you know, just by nature of the schedule being brutal. And also say this, like they could be four and three, three and four going into that stretch and still be a really good football team, which isn't me trying to carry water for Florida. Like just the reality, you play four preseason ranked teams between Miami, Tennessee, A&M, Kentucky, all four of those teams right now in the top 25. So we'll see where they are when they play them. But like Florida will have their work cut out for them. And if they go 7-0, put some respect on their name. Put some respect in Billy Napier's name if that happens, man. Yep, absolutely. Game's not played on the uh, keypad, is it, J.D.? Game's not played on the keypad. Uh, It's not. Jonah Hall says, J.D., could Coach Heupel be a top five head coach uh, after this year? Maybe top ten if that's not achievable. What do you think? I mean, never say never, right? Top five would be a little bit – I mean, I think they would need to be like – national championship level if they're if he's gonna be top five I think it also depends on what your criteria is for top five coach in the sport like we did our top five head coaches in the sport right now and a lot of what we based it on was can you win a national championship in the next two seasons and so you had a lot of the usual suspects like uh 
Kirby Smart was number one. I think Brian Kelly and what he's done, his track record is just undeniable and the way that he's working at LSU absolutely could win a national title in the next two years. We had Mike Ravel at number five, and we caught some pushback on that. If you put Josh Heupel up there, I wouldn't have a ton of pushback on that. I think he's definitely top 10 in the sport right now based on our criteria, but could it be top five next year? It's going to be, going to be a lot of fun to see. A lot of fun to see what Tennessee is. The Nico era begins, man. It's going to be a whole lot of what-if factor there. Ain't no telling what Nico's going to be, and if he is what we think he could be, yeah. definitely propel my, uh, Josh Heupel to that, to that spot. J.D., if you had to choose, no saying both are great. J, uh, Sandman says Red River Rivalry or Florida-Georgia, which is a better game. So I've never attended either. Okay. I've never attended either. That factors. We've seen Georgia in person. I've seen Texas in person. I haven't seen Oklahoma in person. I haven't seen Florida in person. I will say, based on the venue alone, and based on the, com- the competitiveness of the games the last couple of years, not counting 49-0, I'm going to go Oklahoma-Texas right now. Having the Cotton Bowl, having the Texas State Fair around it. Like, I would love, I would love to be able to get to that game this year. Red River gets my vote. I would agree. Um, how about this one? This is a cool, uh, this is a tell JD from OG Gary. We, we always love this. Oregon 13-0, Utah 13-0, LS, or FSU 13-0, LSU 12-1. That's his top four. Okay. What, what would you say? I would say good for Utah. They won the Big 12 the first year. LSU, if, if, so that means LSU won the conference. Garrett Nussmeyer, his first year starting for LSU, him sticking around, paid dividends. They probably scored a lot of points yet again, probably bolstering their recruitment even more, what they have on the field, um, or with their on-field product, that is. Yeah, that'd be massive. That'd be absolutely massive. The fun part now, too, is we're not just talking top four. We're talking mm-hmm. top five and then your seven, like the five plus seven format. I think it's a good way to start. I think you got to go five plus seven to start. I'm curious how much is going to evolve over the course of the next couple of years. Because whenever you have a limit to something, whenever you have a limit to a field, somebody always gets left out. When you have four, who's the fifth team? When you have 12, who's the 13th team? So there's always going to be the argument from that team that gets left out that, hey, we should have been in. Here's why. You'll have a valid case. I don't doubt that. But then you pair that with the opportunity for more money. More money, more problems. And more problems would be adding more teams to the college football playoff, in my opinion. Another, another topic for another time. But I, I wonder where that's going to happen. Because more teams need more money. And uh-huh. there's going to be – when people see dollar signs, there's funny things to them, Nick. J.D., I wonder, funny things. I wonder what your opinion is on the college football expansion, playoff expansion. Yeah, I mean, how long do we have here? We just filled an hour. So yeah. what's, what's another hour? What's another, what's another hour? hour just to chalk it up to just talking ball and expansion and all that? Yeah. Right? Man, you could. You could fill an hour. You could do it. And you know, the fun part is you and I would go back and forth and probably have very valid cases on either side. And we'd finish the hour and say, I don't think we made any ground. If it was you versus bad, I'd probably phone in Andy Staples because he's far more qualified. He's pro expansion, so that would be an, a discussion that I would pay for. Yeah, I think yeah, you I, two I, I could see us going I could back see that and forth. Pay per view action. Yeah, that would be qu- pretty cool. Um, a few more to get to here. Braxton all says JD wild take, but South Carolina goes to the playoffs in the next two seasons. So one of the next two. One of the next two seasons. Like they they're going to make it in the next two years. Yeah, I mean I'm just thinking out loud here. So Lenora Sellers then is a star. That's obvious. The other part is Shane Beamer had a lot of success this year because you got some people calling for him to be fired, and that's one that I think is a bit of a stretch just so we're all on the same page. I don't think he should be on the hot seat given one down year. He's had two 
tremendously overachieving years that raised the expectations. I mean, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it, Nick. We'll see if that happens. I don't necessarily have a, a take on it right now, but I'd, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. Again, Lenore Sellers probably holds the key to that as of right now. You called. You said that Lenore Sellers was in the, um, the Rex Specs uh, Mount Rushmore. Dude, yeah, especially if they make the college football playoff. <laughs> Lenore Sellers, the oh, jersey. Yeah. The, I mean, just the, the NIL possibilities, Nick. Oh, there, with, there are plenty, man. Sellers, dude. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know who makes Rex Specs. Is Rex Specs a company? I have no idea, JD. I didn't know. Remember, Oakley. you guys were clowning me because I didn't know what that even meant. Oakley, Ray-Bans. Yeah. I mean, gosh, who else makes glasses? Burberry. Like, Lenora Sellers, just just pick your pick your brand you want to roll with. Pick all the brands you want yeah. to roll with. Go for them all. Take a bath in the money. Like, like, that, like that gif where the guy jumps off the diving board and does mm -hmm. like a somersault in the money. That's Lenora Sellers if he's balling with the Rex Best NIL. Yep, absolutely. Where's the show going, dude? Where's where are we at right now? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, one more. What do you say? One more? Yeah, one more. Before we get to the last one, uh, Dezu says, "Tell JD I'm a college football junkie because of you guys." So shout out to you. Heck yeah! Thank that was you, Big Joe. Uh, that's uh, Dezu. Well, shout out to Big Joe. Shout I'm to getting Dezu. to Big Joe. Shout, shout out to everybody in the chat right now. We love that. We we appreciate y'all. If you're locked in right now to this show. You're a psychopath for college football. We freaking love you, man. Mm -hmm. We freaking love y'all being a part of this. So thank you for that. And that's extremely yeah. genuine. So, uh, yeah. Okay, so we've got – can we get to two, J.D.? Because there are two teams we don't talk yeah, about a lot. let's do it. It's, um, yeah, it's junkie season. Let's do it. With that being said, though, uh, Javier, um, Jared, come back tomorrow. Ask your questions. We're running short on time. Um, we want to get to these two because they're questions about teams we don't normally get to. So with that being said, Big Joe says, chances Kansas is able to run the table this year and years to come. Are, are, they, are they the best player development program in the Big 12? That's an interesting mm. question. That's interesting. The problem with that statement in my mind is you got Utah in the conference. They're a really good development program. Can they run the table? Man, listen. You got a quarterback, you got a chance. We say that a lot on this show. It's definitely true. I'd be surprised if they ran the table. I'm a big Jalen Daniels stand. I think when he's healthy, you have a chance in every single football game that you play in. They're going to score a lot of points. Running the table feels a little bit ambitious, but if it were to happen, we've, we've been very clear. We're, we're, we're big fans. We're, we're, we're big fans of what they're doing out there in Lawrence. We're big fans of Lance Leipold and uh, making Kansas a football school. March Madness will get here when it gets here. We appreciate March Madness. It's a football school, all right? So we're going to stand on that, and uh, we'll stand on that business, Nick. How's that? Sounds good. Last question. Uh, like I said, come back tomorrow. Ask your questions again. Uh, but key to success, says J.D. Wild take, but Georgia Tech wins the ACC in the next two years and makes the playoffs. Boom. Love it. Boom. Hey, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Call your shot. I mean, it's February. Shoot your shot, King. I like that. I mean, think about this too. Atlanta, if they're able to get some momentum is Georgia Tech. I think Atlanta's easy to recruit to. Capital of the South, unofficially, in my opinion. I'll be all about it. I'll be all about it. Hey, shout out to everybody in the background too. We've had mm -hmm. a lot of good people pass through the background here. And <laughs> uh, they are not paid extras. They're just blue collar, hardworking individuals. Yep. Trying to make a buck. You know, Nick? absolutely. Yeah, IT team was moving around. The video team's directly behind um, behind you. Hard hat, lunch yeah. operation, man. Absolutely. Gritty, gritty outfit over here in Nash. Huh? So that's what we've got. That's what it is. Nick in the Nick. official uh, capital of the South, JD, I might add. Is that in so? Nashville. So is that a true a true statement? Okay, no, I didn't know. Not. It's a debate because you would know if it was actually the true statement. No, I don't so. think such a thing exists. But I would argue Nashville. It's but. up there. 
It's definitely up, it's there. up there. That's man. probably the debate. It's probably one of, maybe maybe uh, Birmingham is up there too. What do you think? Maybe twenty years ago. Twenty years declined ago. in population a lot. Birmingham has. You just windmill dunked all over Birmingham. To end <laughs> no, and I like Birmingham. That's crazy. I like Birmingham, but it, Huntsville actually took over uh, population in Alabama. So. The tectonic plates are shifting. When they are, just like in the college stuff. football uh, conference world. It all comes back, man. It all parallels. It you sure got does. Any takes for the folks? We got any break takes before we leave? Uh, I do not. Nothing? I do not. It all connects. It all connects. Andy Bernard. It all, see, it all connects. <laughs> I love it. Nick, appreciate you, brother. Same time tomorrow? Same time, same place. Heck yeah. Same time, same place. Hey, there's, there's no better, uh, there's no better like closing statement than just pointing to the background behind us. The backbone of America out there, just crushing it. Tomorrow on the show, Pete Nakos talking the college football playoffs. New format, 5 plus 7. Going to be a lot of fun to unpack that with him. Probably get some thoughts from him as well on Florida State, where they stand with the ACC, just making sense of really high intellect things for me before we get on the show. It's going to be the same for us during the show tomorrow. And we appreciate y'all, man. Subscribe if you haven't already. We're glad to have you all a part of this. It is a genuine joy and pleasure to talk ball with y'all every single day right here. Something we do not take for granted. Just hilarious to do it for a job. We thank y'all for that. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all. is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.